0: My guest today is Billy Cooper. Billy Cooper is the father of the late Kevin Cooper, who is also known as Cole Summers. Billy, thanks for being on the show with me today. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for inviting me. Yeah, so Billy, I first came across your son's book, which he wrote under the pseudonym Cole Summers, and his book is entitled, Don't Tell Me I Can't, An Ambitious Homeschooler's Journey. And it was just so enthralling and so interesting to read about this young boy who was, I think he was 14 years old at the time he wrote the book. And he told about his life as an entrepreneur, homeschooler, and all the things that he'd learned just through really grit and determination. But tell me a little bit more about Kevin and when he first started to exhibit this like Determination that was just seemingly unprecedented, at least from the outside looking in.
1: Uh, It goes way back. I mean, at two, I keep meaning to upload this video because I know he wrote about it in the book. I'm pretty sure he was two at the time. He was trying to take over. We had to take a tire off of a truck. And I was in a wheelchair at the time. I'm still in and out of a wheelchair frequently now. And Kevin's like, no, me do it. I'll, you know, me do it, and come running in. And I saw I had to break the lug nuts loose. A two-year-old couldn't do that, although he tried. But so it was always there, really. It just from the time he was old enough to really function with other people and function in activities, and so little things like that. It too started, you know, if there was a drill pulled out, like I remember one time trying to put up shelves. And, you know, getting the drill back out of his hands just wasn't going to (laughs) happen. I had to let him try to put the screws in. Excuse me. And so, yeah, that that was just, that drive was just there.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I felt like I I learned, or I, I was really inspired by reading his book. And for example, like at, six years old, he says, how do we get rich? Or how do I, how do people get rich? And t- tell me that story and what you yeah. told him and how that inspired him to start learning. I wish I
1: remembered it more clearly than I did. So all I know is I was in a really bad mood at the time. I was trying to get the VA, I don't know if I was trying to get him to pay something or that they had approved for medical care, or getting them to actually approve me getting medical care. But you know, anybody who's really had to deal with the VA understands the frustration that can come with it. And they came, and he's, you know, that was just straight out asked, you know, how do people get rich? And I was like, oh, if I knew, I wouldn't be fighting the VA to pay my medical care. know, <laughs> I'd would be rich enough. I wouldn't have to do with that, deal with that. And, I was like, I don't know, go watch some videos on YouTube of Warren Buffett or something like that. And I know I said Warren Buffett. I don't know why. It wasn't just... It was a random choice. I could have just easily said Bill Gates. It was just a random rich person's name that came to mind. Well, Kevin very much took it to heart and went and started watching videos of Warren Buffett. And they got enthr- he was enthralled by it, which, you know, you don't just the last thing you'd expect a six-year-old to be fascinated by but he was and i mean he just he was watching youtube videos of warren buffett giving speeches and the berkshire hathaway annual meetings and just anything he could find video wise on youtube on warren buffett he was consuming it that quickly expanded to the buffett's business partner charlie munger who yeah, Kevin just really loved his dry sense of humor. We just sit and crack up at, you know, listening to some of Charlie Munger's speeches at again, six years old. It's just you don't expect this. You don't most adults find it boring. And it just kinda it went from there. And, you know, of course YouTube's got all its algorithms and so it starts recommending all this, you know, stuff and you couldn't get him off of it. It didn't take very long. I want to say that was around the time, shortly after that happened. I believe it was right after that, that the Choice Card program came into being after the big blow up in Arizona over the problems with the VA there. Which, you know, it made big news, but to most veterans, it was kind of like yawn. This is what we deal with every day. And anyway so the choice card program came into being and all of a sudden everything was getting approved left and right and i had i want to say it was like nine surgeries in a year and a half it was it was rough but i was able to get caught up on on some much needed medical care so i was down i couldn't really help kevin as much as i needed to with normal homeschooling and i've been recovering from surgery after surgery and He's like, well, he's like, well, I'm learning here. You know, why don't I just use these YouTube videos as my homeschool? And we started watching them together and and learning a lot of it together. And and then it kind of slowly grew as a fascination with me, too. You know, it's like everything you start learning on it about how businesses run and all that stuff is just very different from any perspective that you. Typically, get, you know, coming from a typical middle class family that doesn't own businesses from public school. And, you know, you just you don't see that side of things. <clears throat> Even though the information's out there, you don't really see what all is involved and what all, how things actually work. So it was a really eye opening experience uh, for me in that regard. And for him, that was just the starting point.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's so, that's so amazing. You you've got a six year old kid. He starts watching Warren Buffett videos, learning learning all about finance and business, and he pulls you into it along with him, and he convinces you to let YouTube be his teacher for the year for homeschool, which, I mean, YouTube's one of the best educational from around. So that made sense, but it was just so interesting. Thinking about how to get my kids interested in in business and Warren Buffett, that he, he Kevin must have been a very unique soul in that regard. I yeah. mean, by the, within a couple yeah. of years, he had started his own business and I believe he was selling rabbit yeah, meat true. to restaurants. Tell me about he how that worked.
1: Started, he started that when he was seven. So it, it was, I don't remember. the. I think the whole video thing started very shortly after he turned six, but you know, I'm trying to remember nine years ago. Anyways, he was seven and He's just like, I want to start my own business, you know, and so we're like, okay, looking around, it's like, well, we live in the middle of nowhere, you know, you can't do the, the typical lemonade stand or any of that kind of stuff. We didn't have any neighbors to sell that would drive by. I mean, it was just, we were just that far out in a remote area. And one of the one of the one of us—I don't remember who—came up with the idea of farming, and and then ultimately it came down to rabbit farming because, like I said, we we were the, absolutely the polar opposite of rich, and we so we raised rabbits for meat because it was a really affordable way to get good quality, healthy meat. I, I don't remember what we paid per pound of meat, but it was certainly well under a dollar a pound uh, at the time, and you know, it was. Yeah. So we had already been raising rabbits and, you know, he's like, let's, why don't I sell rabbits to people? And we had no idea about the markets, anything like that. So he and I, we, you know, most of the research was definitely a joint effort early on. And so we researched and didn't take too long. We found a buyer who sold to a processor that sold to restaurants in California. It's kind of a daisy chain of the the supply chain, I guess. And so I I remember I challenged Kevin. I said, well, why don't you treat this like it's a big startup? Like you're starting a corporation stock and everything, you know? And I figured this will probably last a few months. I I mean, uh, maybe a year. I didn't think it was going to be big. I didn't even we you know get to the level that it did but it was like okay make a learning experience out of it um so I took what would have normally been the budget for buying all the typical homeschool curriculum books and and helped him with the filing fees and and all that for sharpness corporation and yeah so we we took some rabbits off to the side and let him have those for his first breeding stock it was a tremendous amount of work but him put that old barn in our, our former backyard to use and get it fixed up. Cause that barn had to have been 80 years old, but he, he was relentless. I mean, just no slowing him down. He'd be out there doing 10, 12 hours a day. And that was his play. He had fun with it. He enjoyed it. So who were we to tell him? No, don't do what you want to spend your time doing. You know, the whole, go be a kid and enjoy yourself. Well, he was. And, uh, anyways it it he did well he did really well. he was making money really fast and of course rabbits you know they they kind of let you make money a little faster than than cattle because rabbits are kind of famous for that and so yeah it blew up pretty quick and and then it truly did blow up after there was some things that went wrong and and it kind of wiped him out we Gave him every option. He could stop. I mean, it was a very emotional thing. Told him he could quit farming. He could go to public school if he wanted. He could pretty much do whatever he wanted at that point. Um, you know, his success and everything, We he had a lot of freedom. He had to do something. We wouldn't have allowed, okay, I'm just going to, you know, take what I made by video games and do nothing for forever. That, that wasn't an option available to him, but... He would have never tried that. He never had interest in video games ever. Anyway, so things worked out. He got a little bit of insurance money, and then he started back up. It was his choice. and uh, But, yeah, he took some of the insurance money and started making other investments. Um, Yeah, it just kind of went crazy.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, in his book, he writes about he started, he wanted to buy his own house and fix it up. And he had scoured the area for like different deals that he could get with the amount of money he had saved up. And he started looking up how to refurbish and paint and do electrical work on YouTube. And he finally finds a house from an elderly woman in the area that's willing to sell it for like 10 grand if he's willing to redo the house and remodel it. And it was just he, and this is all when he's like ten years old, right? Yeah, the house was. I think he found it when he was nine.
1: He had already bought his ranch, and and he really was fascinated. They quickly took a fascination to real estate and property in general. Yeah, so he had us him some books on it and was studying a lot of stuff online. And he, this is what he spent a lot of the downtime after he lost all his rabbits. This is what he spent a lot of the time doing to kind of help. Distract him, I guess. Because, yeah, and so he learned how to study the county property record system, and yeah, it was it was a big thing. And so, yeah, he found this house, and yes, some of the other farmers in the area, the the bigger, multi generation farmers who had a bit more money, had made some offers to her that were bigger than anything Kevin could do, but still pretty low. She couldn't afford to keep up the house. She couldn't afford to keep up the property taxes, but all the other people had said they were probably just going to bulldoze it and build a new house. And her father had built that house for his own retirement with his own hands, so she just couldn't do it. Kevin said, yeah, I'll fix it up. I'm not going to bulldoze it. And uh, you know, it was so she said, yeah. And so after everything, it was about 10 grand. After paying the back due property taxes, he paid to help her finish getting some of her dad's stuff out of the house and some legal fees and filing fees, all that stuff. So it was right at 10 grand to give or take a little homeowner at 10. That's That was, once we even knew that was actually going to follow through and happen is when my wife and I were looking at each other going this kid's not normal. (laughs) (laughs) This is, this is, you know, I mean, yeah. Um, (laughs) So, you know, it wasn't, it sounds like a huge achievement and it it still is a huge achievement, but it didn't like being in the city and he went and bought a multi-hundred thousand dollar house or anything like that either. You know, this was, by many people's standards, they would have called it a tear down. The roof was was almost completely gone. It was what was there was shot. Some of the roof decking was shot. I mean, I remember looking at this thinking, "Son, you are absolutely out of your mind for wanting to try this." And uh, and he didn't his him at all. And so, again, yeah, like you said, he. He started learning most of it. He did learn some electrical on YouTube, but I that was one area I put my foot down and I remember like, No, you're hiring our neighbor Joey. He's an electrician. I'm just not letting you take that kind of risk. Safety implications of electricity is, you know, too big. And my wife did the same thing with his custom countertops because of the fumes or the epoxy. She's like, uh uh-uh, uh, no, you can't do this one. So he did a custom wood countertop. He did the staining and everything, but my wife did the epoxy work. But then when the electrician showed up, Kevin's like, you work for me, so your job is to teach me. You're getting paid the same per hour regardless, you know. Your job is to teach me how to do it right. Make sure that, you know, you can hand me tools. And Joey just... You know, we ended up becoming really close friends with Joey over the years. That he was just enthralled. He he thought it was just the coolest thing ever. He got this little. And I think when he hired Joey, he might have been eleven. But you know, he has a little <laughs> ten, eleven year old boss uh, on this job, and and Joey just thought it was so so awesome. And I know Joey ended up doing some work for free. I don't remember if he ever actually billed Kevin for it, but I know there was like when Kevin went to go install his custom built countertops You know, Joey came out and stayed till like, I don't know, one in the morning helping out just cause he was so fascinated. He's like, I'm just doing this as a friend. I'm here to help. This is fun. But yeah. you know, and yeah, it was, it was quite a time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, he, the way you hear about him, he's so inspiring and he, and he talks in his book, how it's all about mindset and, There's this idea, he says that from everything I've read and grownups I've talked to, good luck almost never works like bad luck. Good luck requires us to do something on purpose to earn it. Where did he get that mindset that good luck requires you to do something to earn it? Did he get that from you? No, I I got it from him. I don't know where he got it from. It could
1: have, you know, when he would be sitting here going through plans, his, he had this really analytical mind that, you know, he actually could sit down and contemplate things that he would come up with stuff like that. So I don't know. He might've gotten it from someone else that he read or watched on YouTube. I don't know, but I couldn't agree with it more. That's for sure. I, and yeah, I, I wish I could tell you where he got it, where it came from. I just remember hearing him talk about it and, like,
0: yeah, that's, that's exactly it. Yeah. 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 He, he also mentions that, you know, you really need to embrace your individuality. And he says, he, I don't understand why we don't encourage being different as a good thing. Michael and I aren't the same. He works numbers through his head like magic, but doesn't understand much of anything about business. We're different people with different skills and different interests. And that's a good thing we're supposed to be different. You know, traditional schooling, they, it's kind of like an assembly line process where you, you all go through and you get a stamp on your forehead, but somehow he at a young age was able to realize that his individuality was a strength. Yeah. Talk to me a yeah, little bit I, about that. Uh,
1: I, you know, I guess again, I, I wish I could tell you more of where it came from because I mean, we We've raised two kids in the almost identical manner, and you know, Kevin's brother did not take on that same mindset. Um, i yeah i don't I don't know he just he naturally just he loved himself, he loved everybody around him. he always treated everybody with genuine respect and kindness and and really. It, it was surprising, like, to, to watch. The best example of trying to show, and, and I mean, we, we discussed it one time, you know, that he was one of the best examples I, I've ever seen of showing a biblical Christ-like kindness towards people. Like, he just, he would never hold a grudge. He never really got angry ever i mean he when we had to haul water because our well had gone dry you know um he he caused his brother wasting some water and he got pretty perturbed at it but he didn't hold a grudge he didn't stay angry he didn't even really get that angry (laughs) and and that was just you know kind of who he who he was he just he embraces individuality very naturally it wasn't something that we really we encouraged it um, as we realized it but it wasn't like a conscious thing that we started trying to encourage it early on it was like yeah son you're doing this right you know what yeah you be you you know Mm. don't worry about you know what other people think of you And, uh, and he never, never did. Um, but you know, he was, he was just that way. He, he would go out of his way to avoid arguments and usually would do something really funny to avoid it. Like it was impossible to ever get in, to engage in politics, which in the last couple of years is. Something that stood out as kind of intriguing, I guess. Like it was impossible. He wouldn't, he wouldn't, he would not discuss it with anybody under any circumstance ever. He would always, somebody asked him a question about it, you know, he would divert and he'd give him a look that said, Yeah, I know you just asked me a question about politics. And he'd come up with some wild, random answer that had absolutely nothing to do with it, just to avoid the topic completely. Yeah.
0: Yeah, he had. You know,
1: I had asked him why he wouldn't, you know, why he wouldn't discuss it at all, even with with me and my wife. It was like an awful, nice thing. He's like, because too many people hate each other over it already, and I don't want any part of it. Mm-hmm. That was his response. And so, like, somebody asked him one time, you know, you support Trump or Biden? And he looks at him and he said, I think I want to go pull the transmission out of the truck so I can learn how to rebuild it. That was his answer. You know, that was his way of, of responding to anything like that. Um,
0: yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. He was, he was more into, it sounds like, like action and doing things and building things to make the world a better place than to get involved with the fertility of politics. Very, very much. So he, uh, yeah, it,
1: his involvement getting on Twitter was something that, you know, kind of surprised us early on because, you know, he, he worked so much, <laughs> you know, it was like, when are you supposed to have time to sit and engage with people? And, um, you know, and, but he, he found ways there There was a few times, well, he was, I remember what he was, oh, he was when he was trying to find a gravel pit on his ranch. He would text me and say, will you go log into my Twitter and post this for me? (laughs) You know, (laughs) because he had some random idea he wanted to post or something, and that was part of his way of trying to keep up with things, because he couldn't just sit there, so he would. He would do a little bit in the mornings and then he'd be out working his farm all day long. Then he'd come back, he'd study on something, he'd write. Like when he was working on the book, I remember, you know, waking up and hearing a chair move across the floor. And it was like three in the morning. And I hear a can of soda pop. I go out and I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm just working on my book. You know, and it was three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> um, it was, He was quite relentless. Yeah,
0: yeah. Were you surprised when he decided to write a book to try to inspire other people?
1: No, I wasn't. When he came up with the idea to do Don't Tell Me I Can't, that wasn't very surprising uh, because he had already written his uh, children's stories. It's a 10-part children's stories he had written that were I think we found an illustrator for him finally. He had real problems trying to to get it illustrated, uh, even though it's been almost two years now since he wrote that. So, anyways when he when he came time when he came around to doing another book, no, it really wasn't that surprising, just because he had already written this other set of stories when he was thirteen and like I remember sitting outside with him talking about his farm plan that he talks about towards the end of the book. And I remember going, son, I do you realize, you know, you're coming up with the idea for this project that's going to cost you. And I hesitated just like I just now did. And he just looks at me. So matter of factly he's like, yeah, I know. It's going to cost 40 or $50 million. Huh. I'm like, son, that's, so that's an outrageous amount of money, uh, you know. It's like <laughs> yes. we're we've always we were always you know mostly poor.
0: What was that idea? Was that, that, that the great, great the idea to save the Great Basin Desert through regenerative far- farming, or what? What was that?
1: Yeah, well, his idea for how he was going he wanted to change how it was farmed so that it used less drastically less water and uh, so he looks at me so matter of factly he's like yeah it's going to be 40 or 50 million dollars and I'm sitting there I know I've had to have had a stunned look on my face you know just and talking about that kind of money with you know like it was nothing because he didn't have that kind of money either uh, he, he certainly wasn't poor especially for his age but Nothing and, you know, nowhere near that kind of money. And he's like, you forgot what we learned in Sam Walton's book, didn't you? And I'm like, remind me. He's like, earn globally, spend locally. And And so that was, he was very driven. He's like, I got to start coming up with, like, I'm never going to be able to do this if all I do is farming. He's like, I've got to start putting myself out there. I've got to start writing or doing YouTube channels, or he's like, I have to do something to earn globally. He's like, I don't know if it'll be t-shirt designs, whatever it takes. That's what I've got to do if I'm going to pull this off. And, uh, yeah, that was, that was an interesting conversation. And it was one of those points that I was sitting there like, yeah, he's smarter than I
0: am. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I appreciate you so much uh, for sharing all these stories with me. Yeah, you know, I, I read. I came across his book because he started putting stuff out there on Twitter, and I follow homeschooling stuff because I ho- homeschool my kids. And here's this kid. You know, his tweet must have gone a little bit viral, so it showed up in my feed, and and I, I downloaded his book that night, and I finished it within like I don't know, maybe two hours. I was so because I was so interested in what he was writing, and it was so fascinated by this kid's determination. And then, you know, I wrote a book review right away. I followed him. I was trying to get him on my podcast. And and then what seems like two weeks later, you know, I find out that he passed away through a freak accident. I was just so saddened by what happened um, because it seemed like he had so much, so many dreams that he wanted to fulfill. Um, are you able to yeah. share with us at all what happened or would you rather not go there?
1: No, I don't want to go there.
0: Okay, I can't go there. I just can't.
1: Um, uh, Yeah, it it was three weeks after he published. I I can say that the lady he met through Twitter um, and had actually been talking on the phone with is working on his audio book right now. Um, He he turned around and re-recorded the entire audio book just three days before he died. Um. She said it's it's been a pretty easy edit, so hopefully she's going to get that done here pretty soon to get that out. Because I know a lot of people have been looking forward to it. Um, but yeah, I don't think I'll ever be able to listen to it. But uh, we're one thing, one of the last hands-on projects so of his we'll truly be able to try and get done for him. So I greatly appreciate her help on that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, what's uh what's transpired since Kevin passed away? What how've how have you been holding up and, and and uh keeping his memory alive? Well we we really had to move. Um and my wife and I were actually discussing a little
1: bit ago that um we're we're thinking about actually doing like a big thread or something to put out, I guess, more of what it's been like and what we've been through to try and help any other parents who ever have to go through this or help people who are trying to help parents who are going through it. Um, it's it's really a lot more than I think most people can, can wrap their heads around. I sure never could have, but um, yeah, we, we had to move, not just because there our whole life really revolved around him. I mean we all three of us we we got up in the morning, and you know is what's Kevin gonna tell us to do for today um or what project does he have us working on today, or with me, it'd be what does he want me studying to or, or finding information on, or is he gonna give me a book to read to determine if it's worth his time to read it <laughs> because that's what our, <laughs> our days are like everything at that point really did revolve around him with all of us. And so, yeah, very much at first, it was just, you know, we we were in shock and lost, felt directionless. And, and so uh, it, we couldn't leave our house without driving past his ranch. And needless to say, that was a pretty extreme emotional trigger. <clears throat> And so we weren't able to leave the house very much because yeah, driving and crying don't make a really safe mix. And I, I couldn't, I couldn't even get past that half mile stretch of either of the two roads that left our house. Um, from when we did get brought to the scene afterwards, um, there was there was a life light helicopter, and, and so now my wife has very severe PTSD triggered by helicopters. And there at our old house, there was uh, a helicopter school just to our east and an Air Force base just to our west. So um, staying just, yeah, we we had to leave. I mean, because she hears or sees one, she's instantly reliving that moment, and then she's back in shock the rest of the day. So yeah. But we we got moved about two months ago and uh one of the things we really, really needed that we did not get um before moving was just kind of some time to disconnect and decompress and I guess take it all in and, and you know we we didn't get that there. As we had posted on, uh, out of anger, I, I did a post on Twitter about a reporter who showed up uninvited and had a cameraman out the road. And I mean, just, we were paranoid. Anytime any car got anywhere within a half mile of our house, we were all going straight inside and pulling curtains. I mean, we were paranoid for the next two months. Um, we did an article with our the state newspaper, there, Deseret. Um, but she was very courteous and trying to reach out through a third party who we you know who knew us well, and uh, she she handled it very professionally. Um, we were reluctant, but we granted that one interview because of how professionally she handled it. It was she did well. Um, but um, everybody we knew had some kind of connection to Kevin. We, we couldn't go to the bank. We couldn't go to the grocery store without constant triggers and reminders and, you know, people expressing sympathy nonstop as the lady who's working. I think it was the lady who's working on the audiobook said to us, <clears throat> sometimes too much sympathy just in itself becomes exhausting, and it kind of does. Um, at some point, you you just need to feel a little hint of something normal. I mean, nothing's actually normal, but and it never will be again. But every now and then, you kind of need some things to feel normal. People treat you normal, and you know, with, so yeah. There's I know Kevin posts a lot on Twitter with that uh, bottle baby goat Chester that he kept, um, little bitty runt of a goat yeah uh so I mean the lady here who's taking care of Chester and some of his animals, she knows about him um a total of, of three people here actually do, and it's not that we don't want to talk about him. It, it's just people are treating us like nothing happened and so it's not in our face like nonstop um so it's only on a need to know basis you know that we've been telling people for right now, just so we have a little bit of disconnect time to feel like maybe there will be a new normal or something. I don't know. Um, yeah. But yeah, guarding our privacy in that regard is, has been a real big priority. Um, and, you know, we're obviously, like I said, we're clearly not ashamed at all. Uh, it's just a matter of. We don't want it in our face 24-7. You can't try to recover. You can't try to, to do anything or move on. If it is, you really can't. Yeah, well, go, I so appreciate but...
0: you taking the time out of your day and out of your life to come and talk with me about Kevin and the amazing life he lived and the inspiration that he left behind in his book. And I'm stoked that he recorded the audio book because I had messaged him on Twitter and I've published an audio book. And I was like, hey, you want you need help with that? And, and so I'm glad you found someone that can help you out, get it produced. and. That'll be fun to hear. Um,
1: Yeah. Yeah. We're, like I said, I don't think we'll be able to listen to it, but we're really excited that it is getting done. You know, anything that helps carry forward either the principles that he stood for or the projects he was working on, we're, we're going to keep doing the best we can. Um, We can't keep obviously doc for project he had is way, way beyond us. uh, And we emotionally just, couldn't stay there, but we've we bought a new farm where we're going to be doing regenerative agriculture. But we're gonna very much try to make it a passive solar educational camp where kids can come and they can learn about passive solar construction. Cause I know he be obsessed about that. They can learn about regenerative farming. Um I'm sure at some point we'll be a little more obviously if we do that, we'll be a lot more public about where we are and more people around here will start to know, but that'll be after we've had more time to settle in and, you know, become more of a part of the community here. But, um, so yeah, we're, we're going to be trying to carry it on in a way that we want to really direct it in a way that tries to help inspire other kids and see that there's a lot of hands on like real things they can do, not just, you know, protest or get angry about, you know, damage the environment or whatever, you know, yeah, they can start businesses and use capitalism for good and they can do hands-on projects. They don't have to rely on politicians to hopefully do something about the environment. They can do things themselves. So to try to keep up that inspirational side of things, that's very much a focus with the new farm here and and what we plan to build and work, work towards
0: yeah yeah well keep in touch with me and i'm i'll be following you on twitter and, and looking forward to find out what happens next or where you guys go next but uh thanks again for taking the time out of your day and for coming on the call with me
1: all right thank you for having me you have a good day you too bye